Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The long wait is nearly over. Concerts are coming back to Milwaukee. But for some with tickets, the rescheduled date comes too late. You're starting to say, well, you've had my money for two years. That's not fair to me. And... Did you know that your address is listed on a scam website? Contact 6 knocks on the door of an address listed on a website accused of conning consumers. It's a little frustrating because nowadays you don't know what people can do with your address. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined once again by Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Jenna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So we are recording this episode on Thursday, June 3rd. Jenna, you've had a couple of stories recently that we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I have to tell you something. We The last two times you've been on this podcast, we have talked about stories that ended up having a direct impact in my life in one way or another. And one of them actually goes back, uh, gosh, I don't know how many episodes now, but you talked about the rapid uh, COVID tests that were available for sale. Um, The, is it Binax now, is that right? The Binax now at Walgreens, Walmart, those stores. So here we talked all about how it's it, this this uh, rapid test is now available. You can buy it. You can get it at home. And shortly thereafter, uh, one of we have four children. We have I have two of my own kids, and and my wife has two. We're both in a second marriage. So we have four kids. One of them came home with an absolutely terrible cold, and he was coughing and he was hacking. And of course, in this day and age, coughing and hacking, you immediately think, I hope it's not COVID. And now I, I'm vaccinated. You know, everyone in the family that was eligible is vaccinated. But still, you know, that's not 100 percent. And we just wanted to know. And school's still going. Said, let's, let's get a test. And I thought, well, where can we go? It's the weekend. Where can we go get a test? So we went to Walgreens right down the street <laughs> and bought the Binax now because I knew from you talking about it on our podcast that that was available. And it's funny, the guy who sold it, the, the person checking us out said he looked at he, of course, looks at me funny as I'm scanning a covid test and he said wow you're the first person i've sold one of these two. Oh, really so at that store i was apparently the first customer to buy a rapid test and you found it to be pretty easy it was fine it was very easy i mean the instructions are very you know it's laid out very well you follow the process as long in it there's a lot of big bold writing that warns you make sure you do it this way make sure you don't touch that thing um so as long as you follow the steps uh it was very easy to do Thankfully, he did not have COVID, so we were grateful. But it, it gives you two tests. You talked about this. And, and they say if the first one's negative because of the possibility of false negatives, do it again. So three days later, we did it again. Thankfully, no uh, COVID-19. So that's one way your stories have touched my life because I knew I could go get one. I'm glad that was useful to you. That is very rewarding to me to hear. Yeah, so it, it contact six helped me out, and and for this particular salesperson or or a re- you know checkout counter person at the Thienesville Walgreens, I was the first uh, customer to buy it. So uh, that's one. But n- then number two, you the last time you were on, we talked about car sales, and we talked about how 
used car and new car prices are through the roof because of the demand and because of the chip problems, getting them into cars and the new cars and all sorts of things. And so (laughs) I was listening, but it was like right after that. And unfortunately, (laughs) one of the kids again um, was involved in a car crash shortly. Everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. um, But it was enough. Uh, just enough for the insurance company to say it was an old car, it's a nine-year-old car. Enough for the insurance company to say this car's totaled, um, and you're going to need to get a new car. So we had to go car shopping, and I knew immediately, oh, we're not selling a car, so you right. can't make the extra money on sales, which you said in our podcast was really good because at least you'll in. make more. Um, so we didn't have a trade-in, but we did have to buy a car, and I knew right away we're going to pay top dollar because. Things are just that that's where, the, where they are right now. So and what was your experience? Well, the experience was, thank goodness for so many websites out there now. I mean, honestly, in, in the, 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 the dealership that we bought, I, I won't name dealerships. I'm not advertising. But the dealership we bought the car from was wonderful. They were great. Um, but they, they, they said that, uh, you know, traditional car sales aren't what they once were in terms of the the whole, you know, negotiating process, because the first salesperson is the Internet. And you can shop on websites and you can really get all the ideas of mileage and options and options packages and, you know, what's in stock, what color it is, and you know what they have. And and by the time you get to the lot, you've pretty much decided what car you want. It's not a matter of them showing you 10 cars necessarily. Now, I'm sure there's some people go the old-fashioned way, show up at their favorite dealer and say, show me what you have. But most people will do that, that upfront homework. What was very clear, though? As prices are higher than than yep. they were just you know a couple of years ago, so uh, you know we knew we were faced with that. We had to bite the bullet. Uh, the the thing that did help though, and you reported on this, is that interest rates are are uh, still down. They're they're very good, and so we were able to get a good financing rate. So that helps maybe ease a little bit of the pain. So uh, two two context six stories uh, that we've talked about on the podcast that have affected me in the real world just here in the last couple of weeks. That's good to hear because it means that we're on the mark. It means that we're talking about things that are timely and impacting people's lives. And the fact that you had that happen to you makes me feel like we're on the right track. So that's great to hear. We're about to head into story number three that affects my life because we're going to (laughs) talk about postponed and canceled concert tickets. And that's one of the stories you've done uh, here recently. Obviously, anyone who's bought tickets for a concert or who did in 2020 probably found themselves in a situation of either hoping for a refund or waiting for the concert to be rescheduled. And now we're even seeing many of the concerts that were rescheduled for 2021 being postponed and rescheduled again for 2022. I say it affects me because the that, that Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett, Def Leppard concert has been postponed a second time. So it's like we've had money sitting in a concert bank somewhere that's going to sit there for yet another year. But this is not an unusual thing. A lot of people are going through this. What did you find uh, and, and, and what happened with some of the consumers you talked to? Well, over the last year, really, we've gotten a lot of complaint forms from consumers in the area about concert tickets, and they've been having difficulty getting refunds in some cases, especially with those concerts that have been postponed or rescheduled twice. People are saying, you know, I understood the first postponement, but when it was postponed until 2022, that really didn't fit into my life anymore. People told us they're moving or they had a child, a baby, and there's all these life things that happened between the time they bought the tickets and when the concert is actually going to take place. And they're finding, depending on who they bought the ticket through, depending on who organized the concert, 
sometimes a refund isn't an option for them and that's frustrating. We've tried to help some consumers. We've had success getting some people refunds for their tickets or credit. Often people are told, I'm sorry, your tickets are good for the postponed date, whenever that may be, and your only option is going to be to sell them. In the case of concerts that have been straight up canceled, is that there's a difference there between that and those that have been postponed? Yes, it is much easier to get a refund for a concert that has been canceled because that's being wrapped up. That's that that's easier for Ticketmaster, for Ticket King, for all these places that sell tickets to get the refund to you because the money source is there for them as well. But when those tickets are postponed, when they are rescheduled, there's just a lot of factors that are in play. There are a lot of businesses that that need that money in in the meantime to keep going. So there's a lot of disappointment going around regarding the opportunity for straight up refunds. A lot of times that's just not an option. Now, in the story that you recently aired, you actually profiled uh, some people who had tickets to the Santana and Earth, Wind & Fire concert, which is not has not only been postponed, but as I mentioned with some of these acts, they've been postponed again and again. So now you're, you're looking out into 2022 for people who bought these tickets now, you know, well over a year ago and have a concert that's another year out. I imagine that must be frustrating. It is. We spoke with a couple named Doug White and Angela Maya, and they bought tickets to the Santana with Earth, Wind and Fire concert. And that was a concert that was actually supposed to happen the night before the DNC that never happened. So talk about a different time when we thought there were concerts in the DNC coming to town. But that concert has since been twice rescheduled. And that couple is moving to North Carolina in the spring and they can't go in 2022 when it's been rescheduled. And they bought their tickets from a seller called Online City Tickets, which was very difficult to get a hold of. Um, We couldn't get past customer service. We emailed them, we called, we texted. Often Contact 6 has some sort of contact at a company who does media relations or who is on the management team who might take a closer look at a complaint form for us. We could not get past customer service in this case, and we just kept getting told the exact same thing. The event was rescheduled, the tickets are good for the new date, and they can resell them. But I mean, this couple isn't the only one in that position. There are a number of events that have been put off until next year, notably Elton John, Justin Bieber, uh, Santana, as we mentioned before, Motley Crue, and the the truth is it's difficult for these major acts to reschedule and plan tours right now because they want to do tours to make bang on their buck they they want the big event and with local regulations in place for crowd size they don't necessarily know how to plan for that um and and they think it's better just to wait another year and see what the state of things are i'm sure the logistics are a nightmare exactly and there are some acts quite a few that are planning to come back this year, we're going to see concerts really returning to Milwaukee. Uh, August, September, I mean, everyone's looking forward to Summerfest, which has been rescheduled for September 2nd through the 18th. And there are big acts coming to town. I mean, Luke Bryan, Chance the Rapper, the Jonas Brothers, Chris Stapleton, Cheryl Crow, Guns N' Roses, Miley Cyrus. These are all places that are going to be, or these are all groups that are going to be performing in 2021. Um, That's at the Summerfest grounds. Some of those acts were rescheduled from 2020, and some of those are brand new to the Summerfest lineup. But other venues in town, like American Family Field, they don't have any concerts scheduled for 2021 yet. As we mentioned before, Motley Crue has been rescheduled for 
July 2022, Kenny Chesney says he's rescheduling for next year as well. And then the other forum in town is the Pfizer Forum. And it started rescheduling events in August with Joe Rogan. Michael Buble has been rescheduled for September and Blake Shelton is coming in September. So we're going to start seeing people returning to these venues, returning to concerts. Uh, and I think they're really excited to do it, but other groups are deciding we're gonna hold off and see what the regulations are going to be and what the circumstances will be in 2022. It's it's hard to blame the whether it's the acts who have had to deal with the logistics of this uh, or, or frankly the ticket sellers who I'm sure really really uh, you know took it in the shorts over all of this because there were no events to sell. So it's not like there's a big bank or pool of money out there to refund. Then again, if you're a customer and and you've invested hundreds of dollars in a product that you haven't received for you know very good reason, but still you haven't, and now you're being told yeah, but you're going to get it next year. In 2022, you have people like the couple you talked about that's moving out of state. Suddenly, they're unable to attend or it's going to be very expensive to buy plane tickets in a hotel room and come back and attend. So that that's a tough spot to be in, I imagine. It is. And I guess the takeaway for the consumer is if you buy directly from the primary site uh, for an event for the Santana with Earth, Wind & fire concert. Frank Productions was in charge of that. And they told us if you had bought through Ticketmaster, which is our primary seller, our designated seller for this event, you would have gotten an email outlining your options for a refund. But when it comes to these third party ticket sellers, these ticket marketplaces, they have no influence there. So they can't guarantee your refund. So I guess the lesson is if there is a primary source for tickets, which there usually is, go there and you'll be more likely to get a refund. We have had success with certain third-party websites like uh, there's a place called Vivid Seats that's been pretty good about giving contact six refunds. Although they often tell me this is an exception to a one-time exception to make this person happy. It's not our regular policy um, saying that they want the, cu the customer satisfaction. Uh, StubHub also sent me their policy for how they handle things. Basically saying, you know, tickets are generally good for the rescheduled postponed date. If you want to resell on StubHub, will waive your sell fee, so they're trying to soften the blow uh, by saying you won't have to pay the selling fee. And if you cancel, we'll provide you credit of up to 120% through 2022. Is it great? No, but it's better than nothing, which is what some other places are offering. We're talking about this because for many people, it may feel like their money's been hijacked if they're waiting two years to see a concert. But we're going to flip to another kind of hijacking, and that is a home address. I, I, I maybe shouldn't give away too much about this, but you, you uh, just recently aired a story about a an online scam and it's got a very local connection. Tell me a little bit about that. So we were made aware of a website online that sells farming equipment and agricultural products, and it's got a massive inventory online. The website is called AIHSKC, and it's a very nice looking website and customers who visit it see a Wisconsin address listed and they think, well, that makes sense. Wisconsin is an agricultural state. These products were largely made in the United States um, and they feel comfortable buying from that website. But what we've heard from the customers we interviewed and from the Better Business Bureau is that there is a pattern of customers ordering items from this website and then they never receive what they ordered. Instead, they receive a small package in the mail, a lightweight 
cheap items such as headphones will arrive or oven mitts or a small nail kit. It's not the beekeeping supplies they ordered. So not even not even like a cheap version. So it's not like a cheap version of the thing they ordered. It's something totally unrelated. It doesn't resemble it at all. And the BBB had seen a pattern of this. We spoke with a couple customers who said, you know, this was really frustrating for me because this item they sent me wasn't even on their website. They have thousands and thousands of farming items listed on their website, but nowhere do they list headphones. So there were a lot of red flags with this website. And on top of that problem, they couldn't reach someone or get a refund. If you call their phone number, it doesn't work. If you send them an email, they'll say, oh, we'll send you some sort of refund, but they never do. And obviously if you visit their address, it's uh, it's not their address, Brian. We went there and knocked on the door. <laughs> you said it's a Wisconsin address. So what did you find when you visited this address? So it's a Milwaukee home and it's in a residential neighborhood. So it's a single family, small home. I met a family that's lived there for 20 years and they had never heard of this website. They were very frustrated to hear this had happened because they were worried angry customers were going to start knocking on their door or driving by, which is legitimate concern. And the woman I spoke with who lived there said, you know, this kind of explains a strange package we got last week containing only headphones. We didn't know why it had been sent to us. Maybe it was a refund. You know, maybe someone thought they were sending it back to the business and then they would get their refund because they returned the item. Uh, But clearly it didn't get to the the business, I shouldn't even call it a business, I should just call it a website. The BBB believes it's a scam and it's it's based overseas. We should also mention that those packages came from China. They sell US products allegedly on this website, but the products are coming straight from China and they're not what they ordered. So a lot of signs are pointing to this being a scam. Well, I'm looking at the website because you mentioned that it's a very nice looking one. So I pulled it up now. First of all, I will point out that when I searched the, the letters you gave me, the A-I-H-S-K-C, the first several hits on Google were all scam alerts. The Better Business Bureau is right at the top. So obviously the word's getting out. So I don't know how people are finding this website in the first place, if it's during a shopping search or something. But obviously they're seeing it in a way that looks like it's legit. But you're right. They're beautiful photos, color photos. I do notice now the photo in the center of some sort of a, a, a you know, a weed eater or something like that has uh, writing in it that looks to be Chinese. Um, Interesting. So, you know, that that's maybe a hint of the fact that this was not a, a Milwaukee company selling uh, domestic products. Right. And you mentioned where do people find it? Sometimes they're Google searching for a very specific item. Like one of the women, one of the people we spoke with, a woman told us she was searching for a very specific beekeeping item and it led her to that website. Other times people will discover it on social media like Facebook. I want to warn people really strongly against clicking on any sort of advertisement on Facebook. But if you look closely, there are red flags. We think that it's important to do a few things, right? First of all, you should always check whether a business or a website has a listed phone number and an address in the first place. Sometimes they won't even have that, leaving you no way to contact them. If something goes wrong, call the phone number, see if it works, and then do a reverse search on the address to see what pops up. In this case, would a would a website with such a massive inventory be operating out of a small single family home? The answer is probably not. There are some businesses where it makes sense for them to be operating out of your home. Some contractors do that, some locksmiths. But for a, a website like this that claims to have the inventory they have, it does not make sense for them to be operating out of a place like this. 
There's a couple of questions that really jump out with this that are, you know, three-letter word, why? Why even list a Milwaukee address in the first place? Like, what's the point of that? Is that just to give that sense of legitimacy and comfort that, hey, this is a real local business? I can only speculate, but I believe they're doing it because they want people to believe that these products are coming from the U.S. They want U.S. customers to visit this website, and they think if they see a local address, they'll be more likely to visit the website. We can also only speculate about why they're sending these cheap items in the mail. Well, that's the, the other BB- question. Why, why the cheap headphones? You know, If it's right. not even what you ordered, what's the point? The BBB has a theory about that. They think this website is sending people cheap, lightweight items in the mail so that it is delivered to the consumer. Something is delivered and that makes disputing the charge or filing a complaint against them more difficult because they can say, well, the package was delivered, something was delivered, they could say some sort of mistake was made rather than an intentional effort to not send them what they ordered. Jenna, something you're always very good about with your stories is is coming up with a takeaway. Like what as a consumer is your biggest takeaway from all of this? What do you learn from something like this? Red flags to look out for? Or how do you protect yourself? I know you already mentioned some of them. Things like don't, you know, just click on a Facebook ad and, and go that way. Well, you mentioned one of the things you can do earlier, which is do your research. If these customers had looked up this website, if they had done a Google search like you just did, they would have seen a lot of red flags. There are a number of websites out there questioning whether AIHSKC is a scam. The BBB has an alert on this business saying they have a pattern of complaints. They believe it's actually operating overseas. And I think there's also a takeaway about looking up addresses and knowing where a business is operating out of. If it doesn't make sense for the business to be operating out of a residential home, uh, I wouldn't go with that business. Or if you can't reach the owner of the business or someone who works there to ask them, why is your address a home rather than a a business location? I think those are the major takeaways for me. And I don't want to say- it's a good point. If if you search this address, which I'm not going to say because I don't want to draw more attention to it, but if you search this address and you look it up on, on- Google Maps or something, you would see it's in a residential neighborhood. Absolutely. And, you know, no one there was familiar with the uh, the website. I can tell you that family was quite shocked. They've lived there for some time and they were they were concerned about it, rightfully so. And their options are, are kind of limited. They can talk to the police about it. They can file complaints with various agencies. And I was optimistic for a while because the first time I, I reached out to this website and asked them if they were a scam, They took down the page for about 24 hours, and I thought, well, maybe that's the end of it. The family doesn't have to worry about their address being associated with this anymore, and then it popped right back up, and it's remained up with the same address listed, so they have not changed their ways. Well, it's good to get the word out about this because, I, you know, however you come across it, you're right. There are things you can do. The red flags, you know, keep an eye. There's, there'd be nothing more frustrating than spending a lot of money on something because some of these products look great. There was like a Tesla, uh, one of those remote lawnmowers. It looks like a looks like a um, like a Roomba goes around and mows your lawn, and it's got the Tesla name on the picture. That just sounds really fancy. I, you get a, a package of headphones, uh, cheap headphones, I think you'd be pretty disappointed. Well, there's some big big um, items on there that could cost hundreds or thousands of dollars. So if you think you're getting a lawnmower and you get an oven mitt in the mail, I'd be pretty upset too. Um, and you know, some people have mentioned in the comment section of this story online that this isn't all that uncommon for businesses to do in general, to list locations online that they don't 
actually operate out of to give the idea that they're located in a community when they're not, because that might get them more customers from that area. Well, we see a lot of that. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that with like mailboxes, et cetera, locations or US or UPS store locations where it's just a mailbox to receive mail, but it's not actually like the plant or the physical, there's no physical storefront or anything, but that address gives people the sense that, okay, there's a place I can go if I need to. Exactly. We've reported on that in various ways over the years. There was a company that did, um, it was a used auto parts seller that was being sued by the DOJ for deceptive practices. And it listed addresses online in several places, including locally, that they did not have offices in. And the business's attorney defended it, saying it's part of a plan to expand their scope nationally. Uh, the state was accusing them of just being corrupt. They want to establish an identity in a community where it doesn't exist yet. Um, I mentioned locksmiths before. That's, you know, one way they, I've heard that alleged in the a locksmith industry before, that there are a lot of locations established that not, they aren't necessarily located out of. Because if you call someone you think is 15 minutes away, um, they, they're going to get the business even if they're driving up from Illinois. So it's another reason to look into where a business is actually located, call them, ask those questions before you get started with them. Before we get to, to our author record segment, I want to just point out one thing. Your bed is very nicely made in the background. Thank you. We established before that I was doing Zoom interviews in a dirty bedroom. And <laughs> it's not a dirty. Just... It's, it's very clean. It's very well, that's because I clean the part you can see. Don't look oh, around well, the corner. Oh, well, then you've, you've arranged things very well. And this is as good a time as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little fun, by answering a question we have not prepared for, I pause there because we're joined again by executive producer Sarah Smith to ask us this question. And I pause because I say have a little fun. But I think Jenna and I have almost begun to like have a little bit of anxiety about what this question is going to be and how poorly prepared we will be for it. Uh, like when you ask us about things like uh, how we would, you know, what we would do as the DJ at the Bucks game. I, I felt totally unprepared last time. Yeah, we, we definitely flubbed that one. You guys have to give yourself a little bit more credit here. But. <laughs> I think I'll be ready for this one as long as it uh, has nothing to do with what's on top of my refrigerator. That's fair. <laughs> um, I was going to start singing. Y'all ready for this? So the question for today um, requires you to think back a little bit. We're going to revert back to when... We had a little wee Jenna and a little wee Brian. S some would say we still have a little wee Brian. I'm, you know, that's a 5-7 <laughs> a, a joke. Anyway. Um, what food, smell, or sound do you associate with your childhood? Is just there one? something? Um, yeah, or just like, yeah, I mean, one. If you have like seven, I don't know how much time we have. But I just think if there's like a food that, or, or just some memory that, that, conjures like oh this was or, or like a terrible time or uh, you know um and I, i'll go first so if you guys need a, a minute um the, i have many obviously we could sit here for probably hours but the one smell that really uh makes me think about when i was a kid my dad when i was younger read the newspaper religiously front to back every section monday through friday the weekends you know the big thick one on sunday you'd get um and the smell of newspaper reminds me of my dad and so every once in a while I'll get a whiff you know like if one's in the house or like the flyer comes oh, we don't get the paper at our house we, you know we do everything digitally now but 
But like if, if one of those flyers comes in the paper box or, you know, our newspaper or the mailbox itself, um, just that smell, that newspaper smell, I'm like, oh, it just it kind of reminds me of just being a child and and being in the house and knowing that my dad was reading the newspaper and stuff. So. That's well, and, mine. and newspapers, newspaper. newspapers alone are, are a sort of a childhood memory. We all had them in our houses growing up, and we think of our kids aren't growing up at the time when there was a paper in the house. And and of course, as as a kid, what did I do? I went right for the sports section and the comics, and yep. uh, and, you know, and, and I would I would you know tear through those in no time at all. And then my dad would be like, "Where's the sports?" And so. Um, <laughs> But, you know, now he could just pull up his phone and, you know, he could, could have done the same thing. Um, you know, so that, that's very good. What's interesting, that that conjured one for me because we, I wasn't I was trying to think of smells. Um, I could think of sights and sounds and other things. But uh, one that really stands out to me that still today will remind me of a childhood. It reminds me of my grandfather is the smell because it's a very distinctive odor. Budweiser beer. Not Bud Light, not uh, not any of the other you know beers that are out there. I grew up in St. Louis, so Anheuser Busch was a thing, and my grandfather drank Budweiser, King of Beers. That was his thing. Nobody else in the family drank that, so I associated it specifically with him. But the reason why that smell uh, resonates with me is at holiday gatherings. We had a small family; we didn't have a lot of people. It wasn't like a house full of people. We'd have you know seven or eight, you know, a few handful of people coming over. Um, but he would always uh, sit at the dining room table as the adults were having conversation, and I'd jump up and sit on his lap. And he had he'd pour a Budweiser beer into a, an open cup, and when he poured it, of course, the fi- the foam rises up and the bubbles are popping, and he would let me smell it. I wouldn't drink it, but he would let me sniff his beer, and it I, I could I can still feel the bubbles just touching the the bottom of my <laughs> nose, and that that distinctive uh, odor of Budweiser. Today, if I smell someone in a bar who's poured a Budweiser or just got a fresh Bud, I'm surprised because not many people, I think, drink just straight Budweiser. They're getting micro-brews. They're getting light beers. They're getting, you know, uh, truly and other things. But when I smell a Budweiser beer, I immediately think of childhood holidays and my grandfather. I love these stories. These are great. Um, I, I don't know if this is like getting around the question, but when I walk around barefoot... I, the feeling of like rocks under my feet or like being in the grass without shoes on, that reminds me of my childhood. And I had these really wonderful summers as a kid because my dad worked at a boys camp in northern Wisconsin and my family spent our, our entire summers in this little cabin outside the gates of the camp. And every day when the boys went to lunch and have their rest period, my brother, sister and I got to run into the camp with my mom and use the beachfront. And we were always so excited to go, we would forget to put on shoes. And we had to walk across all of these little rocks and pebbles, this gravel driveway into the camp, and it hurt. Like, we always forgot shoes, and it always hurt. And we just, we couldn't, how long does it take to put on flip-flops? We couldn't do it. But I, whenever I think of my childhood, I immediately think of walking barefoot over the gravel entrance to the camp to get to the beachfront, because that was probably the best Thing about my entire childhood and I was so lucky that my parents were able to give me an opportunity like that now I think about what can I do for my kids that'll be special for their summers that they can remember too but for me I always think about being a kid if I'm running in the backyard without shoes on or something or if I'm walking out to the mailbox and it hurts because I didn't put on my shoes that makes me think of being a kid and so that's... now you, you you pour out like a, a bag of pea gravel and say, girls, take yeah. the socks off. Let's go. We're making some memories here. <laughs> that's right. They, I mean, they don't like wearing shoes either. Maybe it's hereditary. And it's so funny. Like as kids too, I feel like when they walk across stuff and it's like, you know, their little soles of their 
feet are so tender and they're like, ow, ow. I mean, everything mm-hmm. for them is like an ow, ow, you know, and where I'm like walking across it and it's, you know, I could walk across hot lava oh, see, probably. You know, I, but... I'm, I'm probably, unfortunately, I'm probably, I'm a tender foot as much as anyone. I hate walking across. <laughs> like, I like I'm going to the mailbox and you step on just a tiny little rock in the driveway <laughs> and, and it's like stepping on a Lego. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's awful. That's my husband too. He's the, he's the same way. He's tender footed. <laughs> tender feet, tender I, foot. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good or a bad thing. It's probably a sign of modern society. We're always in, you know, comfortable shoes and, you know, protected footwear and whatever else it is. But Jenna, you you talk about that sort of just that barefoot experience in the grass or whatever it is. It does feel like a very childhood thing. Mm-hmm. You, you, you play in the grass you'd or, or you'd play in the driveway or whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, I think I'd spent a lot of my childhood doing those sorts of things. Of course, then when it came time to do like street football or something, you shoot up because the last <laughs> thing you want to do is run across the hard uh, concrete uh, in bare feet. And, and my son experienced this the other day. He um, he skinned his knee and um, and he was te- he was playing in the in the in the street and, and skinned his knee. And uh, and he was telling me all about it like it was this novel thing. And I was like, that was all of my childhood. I almost <laughs> never had a knee that wasn't scabbed up in some way. And then the, the best thing was you would re-scab or you would rip open the scab because you fell again or whatever it was. That was that was just, just never healed. I love it. This was a great question, Sarah. I liked listening hey. to your answers. <laughs> I know. It's always it's always fun to talk childhood stuff because I feel like we all learn, you know, a little bit about each other, too. So I also like when you go first because it gives us time to come up with something. So that's I, you know, I, I feel if I'm throwing you, I'm throwing you these curveball questions. I might as well go first. That's the least courtesy I could give you. When we have to go first, it's like expert level. This is novice. We get time to think. So that's we <laughs> that's appreciate fair. that. Uh, so thank you. That that'll wrap it up for our off the record segment. But if you have a question you'd like Sarah to ask us, she won't tell us in advance. She won't leak it. But send it to uh, send our send your emails to fox six investigators at fox dot com. Again, that's fox six investigators at fox. Com. Jenna, thank you again for being on the podcast as always today. And and uh, hopefully I don't have to experience like maybe a hijacked address because all of your other stories seem to keep hitting my personal life. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you.